Hello and welcome to Hoop Theory. My name is Logan Wortman. This is episode two, the Moses Malone episode, if you will. So you video watchers may be wondering why I'm holding what I'm holding, and you audio listeners may be wondering what I'm talking about. I'm holding my new puppy, because I just want to display what made me take so long making this episode. That's not totally fair though. There's been a lot of setbacks with just like the learning curve of video making process that I've been facing. Also, I was gone all this last weekend and late last week at my brother-in-law's wedding out of town, so so it's been hard to get this one out. But yeah, anyways, her name is Tilly, and she's a mini Irish doodle. That's an Irish setter mixed with a toy poodle. And since I showed off my puppy, I might as well show off my dog so he doesn't feel left out. So this is my dog, Luca, named after Luca Doncic. He's a mini Aussie doodle, and that's an Australian shepherd mixed with a mini poodle. You'd probably just fall asleep, honestly, holding him like this. But yeah, anyways, now that I have your attention and I've alienated the audio listeners, let's get into basketball, what this show is about. So last week, I had my friends Jacob Roth of The Jacob Roth Show and Anthony Levstenuk on to do our preseason power rankings and play an over-under game for team win totals for this regular season. I know by the time this episode is coming out, uh, the regular season has already started, but who cares? I doubt we would change our picks too much based off of what's happened so far. Maybe a little bit, but, but yeah, the process of making this episode has been yet another learning experience. I think Luca wants to get down now. But yeah, as I was saying, the process of making this episode has been another learning experience, just like episode one was. Just expect me to say that at the beginning of all these first episodes. Kind of the things I learned or the issues I ran into were number one, covering all 30 teams in one episode definitely isn't my strong suit, especially when recording with two people and we're also pressed for time while recording, because then the nature of the discourse becomes much more quick, punchy, hot take segments, which I don't think there's anything like inherently wrong with that necessarily. The nature of the show I feel like is supposed to be fully examining and analyzing all angles and possibilities. So it's more like using the hot take as a thesis and then expanding on that and forming like a legitimate case to support that take. That's what I love doing and that's what I'm interested in hearing from other people. And so I guess I just kind of want to stay true to that with this show. So for that reason, and simply just for time's sake, I decided to split this up into a separate episode for each division. So this first episode will be for the Atlantic division, which is the Celtics, Nets, Knicks, Sixers, and Raptors. The other thing I learned was never just record the Discord call for the guest's audio. Despite what I assumed, it was not easier and it caused a lot of issues. So I apologize for the subpar quality of Jacob and Anthony's audio as well as for the audio and the video not being perfectly synced in a lot of sections. That's honestly probably where I spent the most time editing and it sucked. It was not making sense to me at all. I honestly think it was just because of the Discord call, but it would just keep getting unsynced. The video just seemed to like speed up and slow down randomly and unsync with the audio, even though it like I just sync up a section, like just a few seconds later, basically it's like off again. And I don't know why it does that. I also realized that probably just because we were pressed for time and I was trying to rush through parts, we never really say out loud the over underlines for each team. Like there's a couple teams in there that we do say what the over underline is or the money line or whatever you want to call it. But most of them, we do not say like what the line is. We just say over or under, which kind of ruins it for audio listeners because you don't really know what the line is that we're going over or under on. So I threw in little transitions where I read off the team name and the money line before we talk about each team. So hopefully that helps. Also, when we were recording, I was more focused on editing the spreadsheet that I made for this episode, which that's a whole nother thing. The video you'll be watching in a few minutes is just a screen recording of our Discord call. Well, actually five videos of that that are all just copies of that same screen recording and they're all just cropped differently so I could fit all of our faces and all the information and stuff that I wanted to be on the screen all more, you know, optimized and in a better like layout, I guess, to fit on the screen. 
but every time I clicked on the spreadsheet that had our tier list and the over under game in it, it like paused my preview of that screen that I was sharing on Discord because I was like using the screen sharing feature on Discord so I could have all that stuff on one screen so I could record it. But every time I would click on the spreadsheet to enter our picks, my preview and essentially the audience's view, your guys's view of the spreadsheet pauses. And it doesn't just pause, which would be better, honestly, but it like darkens the whole preview screen and puts up this message in white text that's telling me the preview is paused or whatever. So that wasn't ideal either. But anyways, as I was saying, while recording, I was more focused on editing the spreadsheet than the pics I was actually making and the things I was actually saying, which would have been fine if I didn't mess up making my notes beforehand. I originally had my tiers set up in a different way, but I changed it like right before we started recording because I decided to combine the A and B tiers because they were really small and I thought there was just too many teams in the bottom tiers. But so then I got mixed up with how the lower teams would be moved as a result, which ones would be moved up to the next tier and which ones would stay down, like where that split would be and, you know, dividing them amongst one more tier. Also looking at the tiers on my phone while I was recording as like reference to see what my picks were, didn't go well. It was a challenge because for some reason, the, the Google Sheets on my phone all had the colors inverted. So like all the colors of the teams that I had, like the, the logos as, you know, certain colors or whatever, it was like the inverted version of those colors. So it was really hard to like look at just at, at a glance and like see where I have teams because I, I couldn't find the teams, especially like on a smaller screen with different colors. So where I end up putting some of the teams in this video are not where I actually want to put them, but I couldn't stop and like sort it all out while we were recording because like I said, we were pressed for time. But that's okay. I'm just gonna have an outro on all these episodes to kind of clear up my thoughts, I guess on that and try to sort it out. As far as the game itself, I thought it was a lot of fun. Like I said, in the future, I think we might look at these by division, just like by default instead of recording all of it at one time. So these rules might change a little bit because the rules as they are currently, which I should probably tell you because we also don't do that in, in the recording because I knew that I only had those guys for a limited amount of time. And so I didn't want to waste any time on like an intro or anything like that. So I just wanted to, you know, get through the, the actual teams and get through our picks. So to give an overview of like how the game works, we choose, you know, the over or under on the win total of each team. So there's a money line, for example, like 36 and a half wins. And if you think said team with that line is going to win more than that this season, you say over. If you think they're going to win less, you say under. Pretty simple. And at the end of the season, we're going to get one point for every team that we got right with the over under pick. But then we also get three locks while we're playing this game. So you have to choose three of your over under selections and apply a lock to them. And so all that does is change that over under selection to being worth three points instead of one point like all the other ones. And so you wanna use those on your picks that you feel the most confident about. And we also each have three stayaways. And so a stayaway just makes the pick that you use it on worth zero points instead of one. So you wanna use the stayaways on the picks that you feel the least sure about. It's kind of like choosing a question to eliminate on a test. But in the future, like I said, I think we'll just do an episode per division. And I think we should probably just get like one lock and one stayaway per division, which is actually double the total amount of stayaways and locks that we did this year, uh, which I think will be good. Because like on the Bill Simmons podcast, they play a very similar game, but there's no points to it. The locks they use are just for like bragging rights, but they do. You have to use three locks and you can use up to four and they go by conference. So it's really six to eight locks that they'll end up using. And so if we go by division and we use one lock per division, that's six locks total and six stayaways total. So I think that will make the game a lot better, to be honest. It's actually a week after opening night now. So I have seen a lot of the teams play. 
I definitely have like thoughts about, you know, uh, or regrets maybe on picks I've made or something, but I will definitely talk about those when I get to them in this series. So I'm not going to give any of my like early thoughts right now, just because I'm going to get, I'm going to go off on a way too many tangents. I'll just talk about the teams if I feel like it's noteworthy as we go through these in those outros that I was talking about before. So in today's outro, um, I'll be talking about the Atlantic teams and what I've seen from them so far, which I've seen a couple Celtics games, but really just the the second halves or the fourth quarters slash overtimes of them. I only saw one Nets game. I saw the end of a Knicks game. I've seen the first half of a Sixers game and I have not seen a Raptors game yet, but I've also looked at all the stats and stuff like that. So I probably won't have a ton to say about like the Raptors, for example. I'll look at their record and how they've done so far, what teams they played and if anything's noteworthy or jumps out, I'll talk about it. And by the way, I don't think I mentioned, but this was definitely before the season started. We actually recorded this on Thursday, the uh, 14th, I believe, Thursday the 14th. So it's been like two weeks now almost. Yeah, I think that should be it. I'll let you guys get into what Jacob and Anthony and I recorded. Enjoy. It's time to do the preseason power rankings as well as the over-under game. I'm joined by Jacob Roth of The Jacob Roth Show and Anthony Letzvenuk of formerly The Next Man Up podcast. But yeah, he's just our friend. (laughs) Yeah, we're really excited to do this episode. We don't have a ton of time to do all of these teams, like spend a lot of time on them. So I'm going to have Jacob actually. Can you pull up a timer? Heck yeah. Let's do like 10 minutes per division. Okay. So um, we're doing the Atlantic first. We got Boston, Brooklyn, New York, Philly, and Toronto. Boston Celtics. Over under 45 and a half wins. So we're going to start off with Boston. And I think it is just right to give this to Jacob right away. Uh, Jacob, what do you think of their over under and where would you place the Celtics on the tier list? So in case you didn't know, 41's a 500 team. Just just for full information, I'm going to put Boston on an over. And I know it might be because I'm being a little bit homery, but I don't really care. I like the Schroeder signing. I think the team will not be as soft because they were super soft. Hard to watch last year. They wouldn't like do anything. I think Al Horford being back is going to help. And I think Aaron Neesmith has a little bit of pizzazz. So mm-hmm. quickly summed up why I think it's going to be an over. Yeah. And where would do you have a tier that you want to put them on? I'll go B right now until I kind of figure out where I've got other people going. I'll put them on B tier. Sounds good. I'll go next. I got the over as well. Not super over. You know, I'm not going to lock it down or anything like that. No, absolutely. Yeah, I just think they, they're going to be a better team this year. Uh, they got a better roster. I don't know, though, about, you know, first time head coach. I'll take the slide over on this one, and I would put Celtics in my personal uh, C tier. Uh, I'm taking the over as well. I think their team is looking good. Al Horford still has it from watching his uh, OKC games that he played in uh, before they deactivated him. And in preseason, he's also also been one of their best players so far. And I think they lacked a real center and someone who can just provide scoring from the paint and he can also hit the three. So I think he will be very valuable to the team. Schroeder as well, obviously. So I'm going to go over and B as well. B. All right. So we got the triple over for Boston. Brooklyn Nets. Over under 56 and a half wins. 
and over to the Brooklyn Nets, who feel like are most people's favorite this year. Um, but now it's a little iffy with the whole Kyrie Irving stuff going on. Don't know if he's going to play this season or not. But regardless of all that, Anthony, what is your pick for the over-under? Assuming Durant and Harden stay healthy, I'm taking the over. And I have them as an S tier. Kevin Durant is too good. Same with Harden. And I think they honestly can play better without Kyrie as a duo if they have more, you know, better supporting pieces uh, with the team as well. So I like them and uh, I think they can do a lot. Yeah, for sure. And Jacob, what about you? Hard over. Actually, no, I'm not going to lock over. But the reason is they have Patty Mills as their backup point guard. Who cares if Kyrie's gone? They have Patty Mills, who is just a more ideal point guard, in my opinion, for those two, uh, James Harden and KD. Also, Cam Thomas is going to have the highest points per game out of any rookie per 36. Can I also intrude? Uh, I would like to lock as well. I forgot. I'm not locking my Brooklyn over, but you're locking your Brooklyn over. Oh, boy. I'm locking mine, yeah. One of his three locks on the Brooklyn Nets. And Jacob, you got him in S tier as well, I assume? Yep, absolutely, yeah, S tier. Um, I actually decided to use my first stay away on the Brooklyn Nets, mainly just because of the whole Kyrie situation. I like what you said, Jacob, about the uh, Patty Mills. Having him there is really gonna help a lot. But for me, you know, James Harden and KD, uh, both getting a little bit older, you know, I, I just don't know. They could crush this overall number. They could, you know, not. I, I have no idea. Their defense is probably going to be even worse than it was last year. Blake Griffin's getting a, another year older, and he was one of their best guys on that end, actually. Jeff Green is gone now. He's with the Nuggets. So I'm going to use my stay away with them. And But I would also put them S tier. There's no denying that. So they're probably my first team on S tier as well. Yeah, they're definitely right. the top of my S tier. Yeah. New York Knicks. Over under. 41 and a half wins. Uh, New York Knicks, I will go first with them. I'm going to take the over, just slight over. Don't feel great about it, but I just feel like Tom Thibodeau, he gets lots of regular season wins. That's just the way he goes. Uh, I'm going to put him in D tier is where I'm going to place the Knicks. Um, I've got the over for a lot of the same reasons. A lot of the production's still there. And if there's any kind of free agent drama, this is a team that I could really see being like, hey, we have a lot of these tradable contracts and going out and getting somebody. Not that it's a guarantee, but I think that's something I could see. And so I've got them in uh, C tier, but I've got the over. All right, sounds good. C tier. I am taking an over as well and uh, D tier. I also like the point with Tom uh, Thibodeau. He's just a good coach. He likes using his players a lot in the regular season, not really resting them. So he's going to definitely put them to the limit. And like Jacob said, they didn't really lose production besides, you know, Reggie Bullock, which he is replaceable. So they've um, got Evan Fournier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, Evan Fournier. I think they've gotten better on offense overall. More consistent um, offense. Oh, sorry, Anthony. mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Um, They could easily be better than a D tier team, but I just it's the Knicks, you know, so I'm just going to keep them there. The reason I put them D is just because Tom Thibodeau in the playoffs isn't great, you know, and especially with not that great of a team. I don't think the playoffs are going to treat him too well. That's why I put him a little bit lower than Celtics. Philadelphia 76ers over under 50 and a half wins. Moving on to the Sixers. This is uh, Anthony's team, so we'll start with him. I am taking the over. 
it's pretty much the same team, really. We haven't lost much. Embiid is looking in shape, uh, and we actually have a, like a capable backup center now who can step in for when Embiid, because he's going to have those missed games. So we finally have a center who can step in and you know play for him. And Drummond has looked excellent in preseason so far. And I'm just, I just, I think the team will do fine again. I hope Ben Simmons plays, gets his uh, trade value up because he wants out. We want him out. Uh, Philly's not going to accept him well if he plays again. So we'll see. I I think we'll be a good team again. So I'm going to put him in A. A tier. All right. I'm going to use my second stay away. Spoiler, all my stay aways <laughs> are up here in the east. But yeah, I think if, if it, you're going to use a stay away, this is a great team to use it on. Um, just a situation that I have no idea what's going to happen. I still think they're going to win a lot of games, but over 50, I don't know. Just I, I don't want to guess. So um, I don't know how this Ben Simmons situation is going to shake out. I'm just going to stay away from it. Jacob, what about you? Um, uh, I'll, I'll stick with the stay away. I was te teetering towards under because I honestly think that Andre Drummond is a downgrade from Dwight Howard. Um, I really, mm -hmm. really do. I'm just going to stick with the stay away because... I, I thought about locking under, but if, if Embiid goes down for any extended period of time and they do ship out Simmons, it do, okay, what kind of value are they gonna get for Simmons? Are they gonna get immediate value? Or are they gonna get future value? What's, I don't know what's gonna end up happening, so that's why I did end up going stay away. Um, but I do have them A tier. Um, I think they are a little bit, like I probably actually have them top of B tier, like above the Celtic, but it's not worth moving around. So I'll just do I'll just do uh, Sixers in the A tier. Cause I do okay. think that they're gonna be a solid team. Just 50 is a lot of wins. And if Embiid, yeah. let's say he misses 30 games, combined with injuries and sitting out, that means the team's got to be pretty efficient without Embiid in there. So yeah, that's why I've got him as a A and then a stay away. And I didn't say before, but I have them in the B tier. Mine is a little bit more middle heavy. I feel like than yours are going to be. I, my top tiers are a little bit smaller, but. Toronto Raptors, over under 35 and a half wins. But yeah, so moving on to Toronto, we, me and uh, Jacob both used our stayaways on that and Anthony took the over. Nobody's taken under yet, which is funny. But moving on to Toronto, this is where I'm going to use my first under. Their over-under is at 35 and a half, so they very well could go over, but I don't know. I just feel like this year might be a throwaway for them. Um, I know Nick Nurse is a good coach and all that, but you know, they're, they're not in a great situation right now, just losing Kyle Lowry. They're in a good situation for building, but... You know, not for this season, I don't think. Um, I'm going to take the under, but I'm also scared. Like this is a, I'm a scared of the under because there was a lot of things that this Toronto team had to deal with last year. Kyle Lowry always being talked about being traded, not even playing in Toronto, being in Tampa, not having a home. You went to a hotel after you're done with the game. I think that has a huge effect. I have a lot of faith in Nick Nurse. So I yeah, I'm going to just use a I'm going to use an under because somebody in this division has got to lose. Or come, yep. yeah, division's got to lose. So I guess I'll do under, but I wouldn't be surprised if Pascal Siakam steps up, kind of has more, not exactly what he did um, before that bubble season, but like there just was a lot of things that were shaky about this team. And I really like their potential to just be this like athletic, we're going to run around and just be like crazy in your face with their draft pick, Scotty Barnes. So, and I've got um, them as an E tier. I got an E tier as well. I'm using my first stay away on this one. I think it's a young, hungry team that wants to prove themselves. And they're gonna fight for games, so I think I'm gonna I'm gonna stay away because they could easily go over, but also easily be way below their line. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm gonna use the stay away on that one and uh, E tier as well. Sounds good. Shout out Delano Bain, Husker yeah, Pride. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Made the team. Yeah, man. yeah and he's um, he's gonna be playing 
they really like oh, really? him a lot. So yeah, that's quite enough. He's kind of like a Juan uh, Toscano Anderson, a good role player. Yeah. So yeah, those were our over under picks for this year and our power rankings in a tier list format. Hopefully you enjoyed. Hopefully the audio wasn't too crappy. Hopefully those transition slides weren't too cringy. But yeah, to add some thoughts, I'll just run back through these teams really quick. Boston, uh, the line was 45 and a half wins. We all three picked over for Boston. We did a lot of overs here in the Atlantic division. I think we would all agree that uh, this, this one we're not feeling too great about. Not saying I would necessarily completely change my pick, but uh, I am a little, a, a little concerned because the Celtics have started off four and six. So that's not a great sign. Also, there's been some very apparent like locker room issues with Marcus Smart speaking out in the interview that he did, kind of just taking a jab at Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, the best players on the team. He said something along the lines of other teams really key in and try to stop those actions uh, when we try to get our best players the ball. And those other teams do a really good job of trying to force the ball out of those guys' hands. But the problem is uh, those guys don't like to pass very much and they need to learn that or something along those lines. You know, I'm phrasing yeah so that was kind of crazy it's not too surprising though coming from marcus smart i guess you know him and draymond green would probably be the top two candidates in the league for a quote like that and jason tatum in a recent interview was kind of asked to follow up on what marcus smart had said in the previous interview and so jason tatum said something along the lines of you know i know how to play basketball i've been doing it for a while now pretty successful at it just you know some stuff like that he kind of did you know uh say there at the end i think of the quote that you know there's obviously things i can always improve and work on as a player in as a teammate and especially as a leader. But yeah, anyways, there's some obvious dysfunction in the, the locker room. Many Celtics fans are pretty uh, upset with uh, first-time head coach Ime Udoka and his scheme so far, his basically just his performance so far as, as a first-time head coach. I personally think, you know, obviously he needs more time. I don't think there's anybody saying that he needs to be fired or anything like that. But a lot of Celtics fans for sure are missing Brad Stevens right now, I guess is how I'd put it. I think Jacob included. I believe even most of the Celtics fans that were really criticized Brad the last year, year and a half. Even those guys, I'm sure, I, I think probably kind of miss Brad Stevens. But you know, it's the same thing with the Celtics that we've been saying the last couple years now. I'm just gonna, uh, yeah, I'm just gonna go off on this prompt, I guess, that that I feel like is a really big topic of discussion so far this season here all over the place. Like the Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown dynamic, how they play together whether they can play together or not, whatever that means. It feels like we're trying to kind of fill the void of the Simmons and Embiid conversation that we have had the past, you know, half decade almost. But now it's kind of uninteresting because everyone agrees. There's no one probably really left for the most part that's going to really make the case that Simmons and Embiid should stay together. You know, I, I, I don't think there's many of those people. So it's kind of a dead conversation. Maybe it's just that, that we need to fill the void uh, for that. To, to have this conversation about Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I don't know. I, I, I just think we try to make these conversations much more like binary than they really are, you know, much more black and white, I should say. But when this conversation happens, it feels like uh, we're kind of expected to give an answer of either, yes, I completely think they are 100% like a match made in heaven and they, and they should play together. They're optimized together, you know, all that kind of stuff. Or uh, you should say that there's no way they can win like anything together and they are terrible together they're, they're they're destroying each other's careers type of thing you know just the two opposite ends of the the spectrum but like most things it's not that simple so i'll just give my take on it really quick 
Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are two of the greatest uh, two-way wings in the league. Both of them, you know, have, I believe, a top 10 player in the league potential. Both of them are probably already top 25. Tatum, I think most people would put top 15 to 20, somewhere in there. And you know, what's funny is uh, just their play styles, like their player molds, you would think they should fit alongside basically anyone with ease. It's kind of like the player archetype that they, they both are you know, at their core, basically, they're three and D wings that can catch and shoot, you know, that they're gonna space the floor, play off ball, they can both cut. Both those guys are also superstars because of what they can do with the ball in their hands as well, you know, create stuff off the dribble and, you know, really get their own shot. They're both some of the greatest scorers in the league right now, uh, both top 10, I believe. Maybe Tatum has dropped out of the top 10 at this point, but for a while they both were like six and seven or something like that. But, you know, that's like the prized commodity of the league right now. Like that, that is the position, you know, six, seven to six, nine ish, somewhere in there, big wing. That's like the prime size of, of versatility to defend across positions. And both of them are, are even better shooters than you could ask for, even off the catch, you know, whatever you want, you know, and like I said about their their size being being good enough for being versatile defensively, that alongside with their actual skill set and how, you know, how it actually looks on the court, they are very good defenders, both of them. Jalen's one of the better on ball defenders in the league. I think Jason Tatum, though, has more of the all-around package in terms of a defender. You know, so it's not anything like the, the Simmons and Embiid problem where Simmons is a, a wing that size that is, uh, you know, a, an elite defender, but his skill is playmaking and I guess getting to the rim, but he's not going to, you know, spot up and, and space the floor in any sort of way. Um, so he's just going to clog the paint while he's out there. Unless he is the, the role man on the team, the guy that does put the pressure on the rim primarily. And so then pairing him with Embiid is less than ideal because Embiid is a monster in the paint. One of the greatest paint scorers we've ever seen. And, you know, Joel Embiid is a very, very good shooter for his size and for his position. But you are doing you are doing every team you play a ginormous favor by relegating Joel Embiid to merely a spot up stretch five on the court for you know, any amounts of stretches of the game. And that's what you do when you have when you have Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid on the court together and you need to run some actions with Ben Simmons, letting him get to the rim and stuff like that. You extend Joel Embiid uh, out to the three point line. Yes, you know, he, he can do some stuff uh, attacking closeouts and stuff like that. But that's what I'm saying. It's, it's less than ideal. This is not this should not be his primary play style, but it, it has become that because of how he needs to fit alongside Ben Simmons. If, if you didn't have Ben Simmons on that, team. You could have Embiid more so focus on playing to his strengths. Um, you don't need him to be out beyond the three-point line very often during games. You know, just because he can spot up and can shoot those threes doesn't mean you want him out there as a default. Like, I'm not even a Sixers fan, and I can't tell you how many times I've just been, like, empathetically frustrated when I see Joel Embiid catching the ball at the top of the key and pump faking, you know, try to get, like, Marcus Saul or whoever up in the air and try to drive past him for, you know, a dunk or something like that. It, like, why, why is that what he's doing? You know, it's not what he's made to do. He can do it. And it's cool when he has like the highlight plays to do it and everything like that. But it's I think you get what I'm saying. So if Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum aren't players like that, they're both players that can elevate really any type of player that is on their team that they would be on a team with for the most part. They, they elevate any player because they can spot up from three in a way that's 
it's not sacrificing their other skills like it does with Joel Embiid. Also, they're just much better shooters, more reliable shooters than Joel Embiid is. Uh, that, that's more of their strength, you know, and also their ability to put it on the floor and get to the rim is much more, I guess, feasible because of their size and agility and, and stuff like that to attack closeouts and get into their bag, shot creation and, and stuff like that. It can all come out of an action off of another player on the court. So they're basically plug and play type of players. Now, here's the reason why, um, at least I believe they don't work together very well and it, it doesn't seem to mesh super well when you're watching the games and that is both of their playmaking abilities. And it's not necessarily just that, the fact that they're neither of them are great playmakers, but it's also the fact that they don't have any sort of an elite playmaker on the team at all. I wouldn't even say they have like any sort of a very good or great playmaker on the team. They have a few solid playmakers. You know, I, I would even call Jason Tatum at times and Jalen Brown like pretty decent playmakers. But when they are like the offensive engine of their team and they don't have a traditional point guard or a traditional, you know, play runner, table setter on their team with them out on the floor then it's not very ideal uh, when you're trying to get other players involved. Then it becomes much more of a black hole type of situation. Think Carmelo Anthony in the mid-2000s, or really for most of his prime on, on both New York and in Denver. So with Carmelo, I would argue a very underrated passer um, in terms of picking apart double teams and, and stuff like that and something that he did get a lot better at throughout his career, but he also didn't ever have another player alongside him like a Jalen Brown or a Jason Tatum. So comparison doesn't work super well. But the thing is, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are both also capable of picking apart double teams when they are presented with them, uh, like most great scores are because they have had to learn to adapt to those situations. But if they're not faced with a double team and they're they're guarded one on one, especially if they have like the best defender on the opposite team guarding them and they're maybe having an off night or something like that, or they just get into a situation in a play where they don't have a high percentage look. They've gone you know, to their to their spot, they got to where they wanted, and it's not a high percentage look. They attack the basket and they don't have an opening. Usually, you know, those are those are times when they would spray out to shooters, you know, maybe dump off to a cutter trailing them or, or you know, something like that. Neither of those guys really just have like the, the arsenal of playmaking, I guess you could say, um, to make those sort of advanced, more advanced type of uh, playmaking decisions. And so both those guys aren't really, I guess, great at running the offense. They're less than ideal at running the actual offense and more of guys that should be utilized coming off of screening actions and pin downs to get open and maybe get an open three or from where they get set up with the ball, then, you know, do their thing, get into their spot, uh, create their shot instead of it kind of running more from like they're the primary ball handler of the team just because that playmaking is less than ideal. So when one of these players has the ball, especially late in games and like crunch time situations, it's usually Jason Tatum that has the ball. And that's just because, you know, he took the leap earlier in his career and kind of proved, you know, he was the guy on this team to uh, really deliver in that type of way and take those big shots and be that big time score. Jalen Brown kind of came into his own a little bit later. It was actually just last season was his breakout year uh, where he really became like a actual, you know, first or second option type of type of score. But so when Jason has the ball at the end of games, Jalen Brown is relegated to just standing in the corner. 
which, you know, he's still a lethal threat there from the corner. But, you know, especially this season, it's been happening where it's like Jalen Brown is has the hot hand in that game. And he he might have like, you know, 36, 37 points or something like that. And maybe Jason Tatum hasn't had a very good game. You know, he's like five for 19 or something like that. But he is still the guy they go to at the end of games because that's his role. And that's what the coach Ime Yudoka decides to do, which I don't just hate that philosophy entirely. Like to just continue to go to your leader, that that number one guy, even if he's not the hot hand that night. But, you know, I guess if I was a coach, I would tend to lean hot hand, especially in this scenario where that hot hand is Jalen Brown, who's like very close to what Jason Tatum is already. You know, they're, they're kind of like the 1A, 1B, not not necessarily like a 1 and 2. So, yeah, I would probably give it to Jalen Brown in that situation. But regardless, it makes that person's role less than ideal standing in the corner and not not serving his team in the best way possible. And so the offense essentially becomes Jason Tatum in isolation. And let's see what he can do. And if he gets a bucket, great. If he doesn't, that's too bad. Like, there's not much of a dynamic to it. The Celtics have been kind of forced to put Marcus Smart in that playmaking type of role kind of having him as like the primary ball handler in a way or just you know the traditional point guard of the offense which is not necessarily his skill set it's part of his skill set but he's more of like a secondary type of ball handler or maybe even tertiary you know he's a great defender he's lost a step defensively at his age but you know he's he's still one of the better i'd say perimeter backcourt players uh in terms of defense in the league his three-point shot has always been very very streaky and this season hasn't been great but, you know, yeah, one of his skills is he he's a solid playmaker, a solid ball handler, and he's the best one on the team at both those things, I'd say. You know, all their other guards on the team, I guess they can handle the ball, but they're much more like score first type of guards like Peyton Pritchard or Dennis Schroeder or even guys they've had in the past like Kyrie and Kemba. All those guys are, you know, they're looking for their shot first. They're not necessarily like playmakers by strength. And yeah, so a, a couple years ago, actually, I, I think maybe it was just last season, actually, I, w- I was really in, in a camp of they should go out and get Ricky Rubio who has been kind of in limbo. Um, now he's on the Cavs and playing great, but we'll talk about that later. Ricky Rubio is one of those guys in the league that all the other facets of his game have always been just like not good enough to where he's like a really, really high level player. Um, you know, he was hyped so much coming out of Spain and into the draft because of his unbelievable playmaking ability and just court sense and, and feel for the game and hoops IQ, I guess you could say. But literally everything else, his shooting, his athleticism, like just ability to get downhill his first step you know all those types of things his ability to finish at the rim just any sort of like putting the ball in the basket is not good I guess I shouldn't have said all of his other skills because he's always been a pretty solid defender I just think Ricky Rubio is one of the literal best like connectors or like what what the role that this Celtics team needs like Ricky Rubio is one of the best players in the league at that like he's a superstar at that specific thing the rest of his game has kept him from being like a prized commodity in this league because he just he can't shoot he can't you know there, there's these things that he just isn't he hasn't been able to do in his career um, that's made him less than ideal at least in the situations that he's been in but on this team on this Celtics team just having that playmaking ability, having that ability to just be a connector between stars, a connector between guys on the court, get the ball moving, the ball popping, getting the ball in different guys' hands, getting give different guys different looks. It would just mix up this offense so much. Like I didn't even bring up, but this is, you know, kind of where that idea was birthed in my mind is just the night and day difference between when Gordon Hayward was on the court for, for the Celtics the last few years and when he wasn't. You know, even though Gordon Hayward had a really slow start coming back from his like, you know, snapping his ankle and and that gruesome injury, you know, in terms of his previous, you know, skills as far as like scoring the ball, 
and really being like the same type of player he was you know all that stuff kind of was lagging behind he you know he wasn't he was looking really shaky but the one thing that didn't change was his feel for the game his basketball IQ his playmaking ability from the wing position he's not even the same playmaker that Ricky Rubio is he's just a really good playmaker for a wing and just having him in that those offenses uh, just to be like a connector on the court to get the ball like moving around the floor getting into different guys' hands. It made Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown work so well together. No, not many people at that point were having this conversation. There were there were some people having this conversation, but that's just because when they noticed like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown like playing alongside each other and how I guess their skills complement each other, it just it, they're not really additive to each other for the most part, which I can see. And but those things become so much more apparent, or they you know they did when Gordon Hayward wasn't on the court, um, when he was, you know, injured or out or uh, just in lineups where he wasn't on the on the floor with both those guys at the same time. And so just, you know, adding that extra juice of playmaking could change so much for this team. I think that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown can still be on a team together. They could win a championship together. I believe that. I believe that they are, you know, able to elevate each other's level of play with the right context and pieces on the court with them. And that includes playmaker like a Ricky Rubio, you know, or even just like a better playmaker than Marcus Smart obviously would be better. But for some reason, it's really seemed like the Celtics have not really sought that out in building out their roster. Maybe this is something that Brad Stevens will be looking for, you know, having the experience of coaching these guys, you know, firsthand. But yeah, anyways, the Celtics, I still think they can get that 45 and a half win mark, you know, get to 46 wins. I think that's definitely possible. I just feel a little shaky with it, with how they've been performing and like that combined with the uh, just narrative and discussion surrounding the team and what it seems like the players are kind of acting and feeling like towards each other, uh, just like the dysfunction in that locker room. So yeah, I don't feel great about it, but I guess that that would be my refresher or catching up with me on, on my Celtics thoughts. They need to get a playmaker. Rich Rubio was way more available last season than he is right now, he, but I still don't, he's nothing like he's untouchable or something like that, but he, this Cavs team is just really fun and he's a big part of it. So he's been playing out of his mind, having probably the best season of his career right now. Um, and he's actually, he's shooting the ball and he's making them. So we'll see if that sustains or not. But, but yeah, I think that uh, like a reasonable goal for the Boston Celtics like fans out there right now is like obviously you would expect me to say make the playoffs i think that you can expect more than that though i'm not saying you'll 100 for sure without a doubt make the playoffs i'm not saying there's uh, that there's not a chance that you could miss the playoffs not saying that at all but i think at the end of the day celtics are going to be the playoffs in the eastern conference and i think a reasonable fan goal i guess would be to try to miss that play-in section of the standings and try to grab that six seed or above uh and not fall into the seven to ten range uh, where they'd have to play in the play-in tournament to qualify for the playoffs i think that's honestly a reasonable goal for the celtics team so do I think that one of those guys are going to be traded in the next year or so? I don't know. Honestly, if I were running the Celtics, I probably wouldn't trade one of those guys. I would try to make it work the way that, you know, I just was talking about. I would definitely try something like that first, at least. But who knows? OK, let's try to go faster now. Brooklyn. So 56 and a half wins. It was their line. 57 wins is quite a bit. You know, I, I don't I don't think that I regret anything by using my stay away here. Jacob and Anthony both chose over. Anthony locked his over, by the way, which I mean, it's not crazy i don't think but i mean the nets are seven and three right now so decent record i think that is on pace so you know 70 percent win percentage is probably on pace to get 57 um or at least close to it, it it's probably right around there honestly very close 
Yeah, 69 and a half percent winning percentages, 57 wins. So they're on track, but I don't know. I just don't think this team is really built anymore to sustain an injury to either James Harden or Kevin Durant. I mean, I shouldn't say that because they have good role players and both those guys are great uh, lead players or lead ball handlers on a team. So they definitely can survive without those guys, but they're if they have to go a long stretch without one of those guys, they definitely could, you know, move down a, a tick or two and miss miss this mark. So I'm fine with the stay away here. Maybe there could have been a better team that I, I would have used it on, but it's just 50. Yeah, 57 and a half wins is a lot. And betting an over on that kind of number is a little, I don't know, it's just a little hard. So yeah, fine with the stay away. But anything come, come into mind about the Nets, I guess, so far this season? Not a whole lot other than, you know, Kyrie still hasn't played. LaMarcus Aldridge has looked really good, honestly, for them. Blake Griffin has not, though, so far, for the most part. They, they got deeper since last season, which is just kind of annoying honestly i don't know how they grabbed javon carter for that much like they they gave away i think just sham it and i think they got carter and some in return so i don't know i think that for the nets that's a win you know getting a, a defender like carter uh with the three-point ability sham it you know is a three-point specialist theoretically but he really hasn't turned it on to the extent that you would want him to so far in his career maybe he will in phoenix now uh he's looked pretty good for them in phoenix. i at least i think I've, I've only watched a game or two of phoenix i haven't looked at Shamit's stats so i guess i shouldn't speak too soon on that but honestly i don't know how cam thomas has done so far in his if he's really had any sort of meaningful minutes um, obviously he, he was going crazy in the summer league and, and preseason and stuff like that. He was a guy that I wanted like in, in the draft. Uh, here's how I'll describe it for my team, the nuggets during the draft, the last couple of years, like when the pick comes to us, I like to make note of who I would take that's left on the board there. Like who would, I, who I would take at that pick if I was Tim Conley, GM of the nuggets and Cam Thomas was that guy for me this year. Uh, if, if any of you were wondering, Jaden McDaniels was that guy for me last year at 22, uh, where we took Zeke Naji. Um, I believe it was 22, something like that. Also, if you listened to the show before, you know that I love Zeke. Wasn't happy with the pick at the time, but he's won me over quite a bit. But anyways, Cam Thomas, yeah, he was my pick for that this year at the 26th pick. He ended up going 27th, I believe, the very next pick to Brooklyn. I was thinking that he would have a much bigger role this year with Kyrie out. At least just going based off of I haven't heard anything for the most part about him. I don't think so far this year. I'm just assuming that he hasn't been like super relevant. Yeah, so he's only averaging 3.4 minutes a game. His time will come, though. I think, you know, he's one of the best like put together scores already in this draft. So his time will definitely come for sure. But yeah, they got Patty Mills there as a, as a point guard now who is just a flamethrower from deep, especially when you catch him on the right night like I have. So so yeah, Brooklyn probably still my like uh, when it when it comes down to it, who I would take in a playoff series against anybody, I think would be Brooklyn. I think that's that's still my pick. So moving on to the New York Knicks, 41 and a half wins. We all chose over on this uh, just because Tom Thibodeau always gets his teams, you know, more wins than they're expected to. You know, they're sitting at six and four right now. So obviously more than on pace to pass that number 41 and a half. That would just be a game over 500. So, yeah, I, I feel zero regrets here. I'm sure we all would, would do this again if we had to. Philly, here we go. Uh, so Philly is uh, one that I use my stay away on. Jacob used stay away on and Anthony chose the over. No surprise there. Yeah. So if I had to do this over, I don't know if I would not use the stay away, but if I had to choose between over and under, I would definitely choose over. I'm feeling less unsure, if that makes sense, about them now than I did back when we recorded this one, just because they've come out even without a lot of their guys, like Tobias Harris has been out, uh, Danny Green's been out, who else? 
maybe Niang. Somebody else has been out with like like COVID protocol or something. And Embiid's missed some time as well. Despite that, they're still like one of the top teams in the East. Um, they are the top team in the East, actually, eight and two. So definitely surviving. So yeah, I'd probably choose the over on this if we if we redid it. Yeah, and then Toronto is the next team at 35 and a half. Scotty Barnes has been a sensation so far uh, in this rookie class. I think most people agree if the season ended today, uh, it's either him or Evan Mobley would take home the Rookie of the Year award. Yeah, Raptors are six and five. So definitely looking out for them to pass this over, this uh, money line, 35 and a half. Could happen, definitely could, especially with a coach like Nick Nurse, you know. So they're just a young, fun team. They got young pieces. They got old pieces. They got in-between pieces. OG Ananobi, I think, is one of the breakout players this season. Yeah, just a fun team, I guess, is what I would say. It does make me scared of the underpick, but I don't, I'm not like super, you know, I don't know if I would be like 100% I'm going to flip this to over or anything like that. Like, I would be fine with leaving it at, at under, honestly. It's just, it's so hard to choose all of these, but definitely could, could be going over. So, yeah. By the way, I probably should have said this at the beginning, but it is November 8th. Monday. So like literally almost a month after this original video of us picking these over-unders was recorded. I guess I just wish I could do this more. I could get more of this stuff out and do it better, but I get tired. It's just hard sometimes, I guess. So I'm done now. This was the Atlantic Division episode. Um, hopefully the uh, man, hopefully the audio is lined up on this. I'm going to like just not even do anything if it's not. That is the most annoying thing. I don't understand why it does that. I need to look into getting a better, I guess, a recording setup because I've been using Vimeo screen recorder as a Chrome extension on my laptop. And I, I think especially when I'm using the screen sharing or not the screen sharing, but, you know, recording with the camera, the face cam and the screen recorder at the same time using that option. So you can see what's on the screen and my face. Uh, some for some reason, when I do that, it seems like the audio really disconnects from the, the video very irregularly. And it's not a thing that I can just like, you know, go in and tweak like, oh, move the video back, whatever amount of seconds or milliseconds to make it line up with the audio. And then it's good for the rest of it. Nope. It's just like 15 seconds later, if that it's going to be way off again and maybe in the opposite direction. Like it is so weird. I don't know how it works, but usually it's been fine, though. It seems when it's just this, when it's just I'm using the face cam only. So hopefully that's good. I, this was a longer recording part than I wanted it to be for just the outro, but hopefully it's not going to be a, like a pain to edit. So yeah, hopefully this is a shorter video to put on, up on YouTube and, and on Spotify. Hopefully less than 30 minutes. Probably not though with the amount I've recorded here for the outro. So we'll see. But thank you for watching or listening. Either one. We'll be looking out for that next episode for the Central Division. Hopefully I get more stuff to you in the future as well. Uh, thank you for watching the second episode of the Hoop Theory podcast or whatever I want to call it. Hoop Theory. I should say thank you for watching the Moses Malone episode of the uh, Hoop Theory podcast. Leave a like, I guess. Subscribe. I don't know. I don't like asking to do those things. I don't know if it helps or not. Probably not. But yeah. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed. I'll talk to you guys next time. Thank you.